Good, good evening, everybody. This is Mark McNaught uh, with the most recent installment of Building the Scottish State. And I have Matt Campbell for the second time in several weeks because we wanted to begin the discussion about what a Scottish constitution and what the Scottish state would uh, become. So first of all, uh, thank you, Matt. For Yeah. And so when I first got interested in the Scottish uh, independence campaign in around 2011, when I, I found it, my, my first thought about it was, well, they need a, a good constitution. And a lot of what's motivated me to write you know, the constitution that people can find at wiki.scottishconstitution.com, which I know has a lot of malware and is being in the process of being put on a much more solid blockchain uh, site. It was always in the interest of uh, having taught a U.S. campaign finance law and just feeling ill about how horribly corrupt the U.S. government has become and at what types of constitutional mechanisms could be put in to a Scottish constitution to alleviate these somewhat. I mean, we all have, you know, there's human nature and ambition and, and all this stuff, but the, the worst would, would be like as the United States, when the constitution was written in 1787, uh, John Jay, one of the framers of the constitution, famously said that uh, the people who own the country ought to run it. And so what we'd like to do is talk about ways in which uh, that can be avoided because Scotland just became another corrupt oligarchy after after becoming independent. It would it would have just been a complete waste. So, what are your thoughts on that? How do you see a constitution developing, and what types of things could be placed in it? I can't remember which of the founding fathers. I think was it um, Jefferson that said the the tree of liberty must be continually watered by the by the patient. Actually, Jefferson didn't play that didn't play that much of a role in the constitution. He mostly wrote the Declaration of Independence. It was mostly James Madison, Madison's model upon which it was based, yeah. His statement about the, the Tree of Liberty and stuff, but the idea that um, you have to have a continual churn in governance, you have to have that continual churn, I think there's a, an element of truth in that, because if you look at the most corrupt democracies around the world, I mean, yeah, you have actual functioning oligarchies and fascist states like China and Russia and the like and North Korea. But if you look at democracies that we all think of as quite mature democracies that haven't got anything bad going on, and then you dig under the surface and you see that actually there's huge amounts of political corruption, huge amounts of buying of, of votes and the like. Look at those countries. It's countries like the UK. It's countries like the US who have had pretty stable constitutional arrangements for the last couple of hundred years and that's why i think that corruption has set in because nothing's changed in a couple of hundred years yeah the us has had a civil war and the uk has now got devolution and, and obviously the irish state situation in the 1920s but the point is, is that the basic constitutional framework hasn't changed much in a couple of hundred years and so the rich and powerful have found ways to circumvent democracy in ever more complex ways and nothing stopped them because the constitution situation hasn't changed much so exactly. from a get-go you need a constitution that isn't too hard to change yeah i agree but, i agree with that but isn't easy to change for the rich right. It, right. you need a constitution that the people can amend very quickly but you need all of the people not just the rich going well we've got rid of these taxes yes yeah, so it's just make a make a constitutional amendment no more taxes for rich people right. Right. So that, that, that's from the get-go. You need to make it easy to respond. The U.S. Constitution, as you know, has been amended, what, 27 times? The first 10 were the Bill of Rights which in 1791. So it's only been amended 17 times since then. And at each time there's an amendment, it's just tacked on to the end, instead of changing the original text. So you have, for example, the three-fifths compromise that counted the slaves as three-fifths of a person. It's still in there. You know, I mean, it's been superseded by the 14th Amendment. But 
can't you get rid of that? And, and, and of course, the Electoral College, I mean, that's just an abomination that, that, you know, that was originally intended to balance the slave states and the, the free states, you know, to make sure that not a majority. Hands, hands on my heart, you know, I am a, I'm a complete techie nerd. If, if I'd been successful in my, my recent attempt at getting elected, I would have been one of the nerdiest MSPs in Scotland by far, I think. But yeah, I'm a nerd. And I tend to look at the idea of a constitution in the same way as I look at software. So software development. Yeah. And you can have the kind of model that Microsoft used to do so well, which is just throw more source code at it. Thousands of lines of code, just add more, 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 more. And it just becomes this big bloated mess that does eventually do the job but doesn't do it very well yeah. because it, it did that job really well. And then we added on this and then we added on this. And, it, and before you know it, it's just a mess and no one can understand what the hell is going on. The U.S. code, for instance, is now, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of. Presumably you looked on my site that had the corpus of Scottish law that, that organized the law into the different. Basically, I, I, I tried to think of every single conceivable sphere of law, you know, like uh, whether it be foreign policy, the judiciary, the, you know, environmental regulation, health law, all that. And I divided it into, I think, 25 or so different categories and then created a corresponding institution that would basically be the administration of that particular sphere of law. So a health, a Scottish health administration would, you know, administer health law, et cetera. And so I think I got most of the c- categories, I, uh, but, it, but it specifies in the constitution that it, that, that it has to be written clearly so that anybody can understand the law clearly. I mean, no Latin, no ridiculously over-complex Inelegance in law as well. That's something you, you touched on there. This is something I actually quite like the first part of the US Constitution because it's so wonderfully, it, yeah, the language is a little archaic now because it's 300 years old, but you know, the actual language itself, for its time at least, very, very elegant. I mean, if like the First Amendment. Congress shall pass no law regarding the establishment or religion or the free exercise thereof. Uh, or the freedom of the speech, freedom of speech of the press or the rights of the people to peaceably assemble and petition their government. The government for redress of grievance. In, in that one sentence, it covers freedom of and from religion. It covers the freedom of the press. It covers the rights of the people to petition their government for grievances. And, and it covers the rights of them to assemble, which mm-hmm. we don't actually have. In the UK, we, you know, in Scotland, we do not have the right to assemble. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the police can say, there's three of you, that's a riot, go away or we'll arrest you. That is law. Now, the police don't exercise it because this is how the British state does things. It passes extremely restrictive laws and then chooses to ignore them when it's useful. Because then when they don't want to ignore them, they can just round everyone up and arrest them. Mm-hmm. There's no law stopping them because they already passed this law. You know, Thatcher passed that in the 1990s, if I remember right. So that, that's a really good example of how you can do a constitutional framework well. It's just that the U.S. is so difficult to change those things and requires so many loopholes. And you see the federal government just can't pass a law to do something it needs to do. So it just finds a loophole, like all federal taxation in the U.S., all, all, all taxation on, on things like alcohol. The, U, the federal government has no right to regulate alcohol. So mm-hmm. it just says, oh, hey, you're, you're moving alcohol across state boundaries. Well, that's commerce. We have the right to regulate commerce. And a lot of the civil rights legislation was based on the Commerce Clause as well. For example, interstate busing. And and because there is interstate busing, then the, the federal government, I think there was a Supreme Court decision which said that, 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 they must, that interstate bus terminals must be desegregated, like the school back in the 1950s. But of course, it was completely ignored. And then you had the freedom rides where people would you know, drive through the South and the whites would go in the black facilities and then vice versa. 
based chains. And that, that's like a bug in the source code. If you go back to the source code analogy. If you, if you just look at it from a perspective, is the Constitution is the, is the operating system and yeah. the, law, the laws are the application. It, it's so difficult to make amendments to the US Constitution that the government have had to make, make loopholes for themselves to pass laws that are actually quite important. <laughs> and, and incidentally, when the government doesn't want to do that in the US, they blame the Constitution when there's clear and present ability to do so. Like the, the um, lack of a national health system in the US has been blamed. Well, the, the federal government doesn't have the right to do that. Um, really, because it, it pretty much says that the federal government shall um, act act for the greater good and health. And that, That's from the McCulloch versus Maryland case of 1819. And in that in that case, they had, they had established uh, the bank, the second bank of, of, of the U.S., and they want, and, and and the state of Maryland wanted wanted to tax it. And some of the arguments were, well, the, the the right to create a bank is not in the Constitution, therefore it doesn't have the right to. So what they decided was that even if it didn't specify that they could create a bank in the Constitution, they, they, but Congress could pass all necessary and proper laws for the the advancement of. Uh, you know, so they had implied powers to, uh, you know, so if they have the right to regulate commerce, the logic would go, okay, that they have a right to, to, to a bank because it's necessary and proper to... It's all these implied rights and yeah. there's literally, you know, lives have been lost over the positioning of a comma because, yeah. well, well, 300 years ago they wrote this. Did they mean the comma to be here or not? Is there an actual comma? <laughs> Let's look at the source document. You're like, just pass a new freaking constitution, people. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do these things. Government is supposed to serve the people, not a 300-year-old document, whether it's got a comma in it or not. And, and you know, I'm bashing on the USA, but the UK that we're seeking to leave is just as bad because no. there isn't a constitution. It's 44, 45 different acts of parliament from 1627 and another the 1880s. And then the, the Representation of the People's Act as amended. What does as amended mean? It means they passed it in 19... You talk about bloat where the UK's constitution is unfathomably bloated, and that's by design. They want it to be unfathomably bloated. They don't want it to be like yours, where you can just go on a website and be like, oh, yeah, that's right. No, you, they want it to be huge, spooling messes of, of law that are so complex that they, they need researchers to understand it. If, if the government have to employ people... With, with law degrees to understand their own damned constitution. What the hell have anyone else got a job? And of course, they, everybody everybody has a different understanding of it. You can interpret any, and you've got so many layers of jurisprudence that you can pretty much find anything you want, you know, if you look deep enough. You, you, you go back you know, to the 14th century legislation. in the laws, 1325, only it doesn't apply in Scotland because we yeah. weren't in the Union. Right. I, I could, you could, you could spend half an hour ranting about how bad it is. I could spend an hour ranting about how bad it is, but I can sum up both the UK and UK US constitutional amendments in in one sound. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> You've got the right of it. We need uh, we if if we're going to be independent, which I think we we definitely are. Um, I think that Scotland needs a constitution that is is driven by the experts. Mm-hmm. But determined by the people, yeah. mm-hmm. not the other way around. Yeah. Uh, the, way, the reason I say that is the experts need to drive, like you said, that they need to say, right, this is going to need to be in the constitution. This is a fundamental right. This is a sphere of law that needs to be enveloped in a constitution. Mm-hmm. And this is just legal stuff. This is this is legislation that can be carried out by the parliament and amended as as needed. For instance, you know, parliament shall shall pass laws on the budget every year. That should be a constitutional thing. Mm-hmm. But the budget every year should not be. The budget itself should just be a, const- you know, a legal document every year. They need 
they need to pass a new act. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But it needs to be driven by the people. It needs to be, you know, written by the experts. Mm -hmm. But the people need to be the ones saying, yeah, we want a right to this. Yeah. We feel that everyone in Scotland should have the right to housing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the United States, uh, United States, I mean, the first 10 amendments are, uh, are, are, are negative rights in the sense that it, it prevents infringement of the state in these domains like you know freedom of speech etc but and so but they, they never during the 1930s uh, roosevelt did propose a a positive bill of rights or you know a, a social rights you know right to housing all that but of course it didn't get anywhere uh you know but in because uh, in the united states you simply there are no positive rights and even the negative rights are kind of hanging by a thread i mean you know search and seizure you know freedom of speech all that i mean and um and then the criminal you know, procedure with the Fourth Amendment, et cetera, right to trial by jury, that's being pretty much swept away as well as, as the criminal justice system becomes increasingly privatized. And well, the, I mean, the, the U.S. Constitution does have one little bit that I really quite like. In it. Um, I'm going to need to Google this. So, yeah, <laughs> you're, why are you doing it? We've got a U.S. expert here. It's a bit that says something along the lines of um, all the rights not contained herein are removed to the states and the people. That's the tenth, that's the tenth amendment. That's the tenth amendment. Yeah, yeah. So if it doesn't say it here that the U.S. government can do it, then the states can do it. And if they don't say it, then the people have the right still. So I can. It doesn't say in the U.S. Constitution that someone can walk down the street dressed like a you know, pink daffodil, running in a mock around the street, so he can do it because it doesn't say it can't. Mm -hmm. No law against it, and the state hasn't passed a law against it, and the government hasn't passed a law against it. That's a nice idea. The idea that the freedoms belong to the people. Mm -hmm. otherwise specified that's good mm -hmm. yeah but the, t the thing is the 10th amendment's been used certainly by conservatives to say that the government the federal government doesn't have this power i mean uh, and what you what you call strict constructionists who say that you know only what is in the constitution is is you know uh is 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 can, the government can do and and so that means the government can't do anything and of course they use that that with regard to the um, with the health care, uh, you know, when Obamacare was passed, they were saying, well, it's not in the, t you know, the 10th Amendment says it's, it's you know, power to the people. The, the government doesn't have, there's no explicit power to create a, you know, a set oh, health no service. power to, to, to do a lot of things the U.S. government have done, but, you know, that they can find loopholes around that. But, yeah, that's getting back again to this argument. And we're still talking about the U.S. and I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but that, that's getting back to that argument that your constitution is so rubbish that you have to debate whether there's a comma in the, founding document mm -hmm. write a new damn founding document the idea of writing a new constitution i said this to a friend of mine in the u.s i said he was arguing about health and he said yeah there's constitutional problem with this. write a new constitution and he, he just stopped for like a, a second because the idea had never even entered his mind that you could do that and i was like well why can't you because because that's how the whole country's founded and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know governments aren't there so are supposed to aren't supposed to be there to preserve all documents. They're supposed to be there to serve the needs of the populace, the government, you know, government for the masses. Um, we've got a couple of questions coming in yeah. here, he says, too, he does. Yes. <laughs> um, do you support the long walk to freedom and the Scottish Digital Covenant? Yes and yes. John here asks, are, many are there many countries which do not have a written constitution? Uh, I do know that there are, um, a, 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 I think, three or four uh, in, the, in the world. In Israel, yeah. uh, I Israel, the UK, and uh, I think Japan. Maybe, maybe, maybe. No, Japan had one 
No, dude, the Japan definitely has one. And uh, and Canada is, I think it's more under the Westminster Acts or something like that, which are basically constitutions. Yeah. You know, but, uh, uh, but it's... it's, it's, it's has one. Uh, three, three or four. Three or four in the country. Out of, out of all of the entire country uh, countries, the 160 whatever countries, it's only three or four that don't have a written constitution, of course, the UK included. And you combine that with this notion of parliamentary sovereignty, you know, the, the crown in parliament can do, uh, do anything, basically, you know, and so it's... Um, uh, it's rather dangerous. The US model at least has some checks and balances. The reason why, again, the US has fallen so far from the, the tree of liberty, so to speak, the apple's fallen so far, is specifically because it's so hard to change and amend. Checks and balances work to stop progress as well as to stop um, you know, they, they work to stop tyranny. But the trouble is the tyrants are more determined. Yeah. And that's where your problem comes in. In terms of what we need to do for a Scottish constitution, I think, yes, the digital model is good. We, should, we have the chance to not just use digital tools for the sake of it. Always a danger when you have nerdy people like me. Oh, let's do this <laughs> thing because we can. Ha! Yeah. The internet lets us. No, we, we have the ability to use the internet and crowdsource a constitution in, in a very real sense. Yes, it's yeah. going to, need to be guided by experts, so it needs to have people like you, far more learned than idiots like me, saying, yeah, you want these rules brought in from the beginning. If you want this right, you're going to have to write it in the founding document, and you know, second paragraph in, just after the bit about what the country's called. But these things you probably just want to handle with legislation, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the people should be the ones that come in and get to say, Everyone should have the right to a free, well, not free. Absolutely. Everyone should have the right to housing. Everyone should have the right to an education, regardless of the. And, and also, I think they should have the right to, to 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 rule on what form of government they want. Do they want to keep the monarchy? Would you rather be a republic? I mean, that should be open for, you know, for blockchain vote, basically. You know, to to determine, you know, what. I'm not so sure about um, allowing everyone to vote on everything, though. Okay. I think that there should be the general push could be determined by the people. I worry that we end up with direct democracy if you allow people to vote on every last part. And the reason why that sounds like a bad thing is because people don't care. Mm -hmm. It's fine to have people say, yes, you want a monarchy, yes or no. Everyone can understand that. You can say, okay, you want a monarchy or you want to have an elected president like Ireland has, ceremonial role, get some nice old guy to come in, a nice old lass to come in every now and again and shake the bit and that's fine. We can do that. That's an easy one to vote on. It's when you start to have votes on everything that you get trouble in. Do you want to ratify this treaty with the United States? Uh, what does it do? Well, it has 477 different provisions. Mm -hmm. Your average person on the street is going to go, oh, I don't like America. Oh, I love America. Click. Yeah. And that's where your problem comes in because 477 provisions. Your legislator hopefully has read most of them, or at least mm -hmm. had an aide that understands them and read them to them. Mm -hmm. words. You're never going to get that level of of um, engagement. With I understand. Them. I understand that. I understand that. I was thinking more just in terms of constitutional development, being able to get you know, uh, you know, broad consensus on the on the, on the form of government things. You know, monarchy. I, I, I know you understand that. I was I was saying that for the the. the oh, sure, sure. Um, there was some debate on this about a second chamber. Should we have a the, the, the Commonwealth stuff that was out today? Should we have a second chamber made up of people? And I said yes and no. I think mm -hmm. it should be made up of experts. Possibly, preferably without party bias, but I don't think you can, you know, that's the Jeffersonian thing again. You're never going to get rid of parties. But certainly remove the second chamber from the whole first chamber election timeline sort of thing a little bit to try and get rid of party bias because it should be made up of experts. Yeah. 
And someone was saying, no, no, it should be like a citizen's assembly. I said, yeah, but your average citizen can get legal advice given to them, but they're not going to care. You're not going to get an average citizen coming in off the street and being made to be in a second chamber for a year or three years or whatever, mm-hmm. being told, yeah, okay, um, we need to vote on this legislation. This legislation has 470 pages, and some of these clauses are very complex. The lawyers are going to give you a briefing on it. They're not going to, you're not going to get that level of buy-in expertise. Not everyone can do that. That's not an insult to not everyone. For instance, I could probably do it. I'd find it challenging, but I could do that. Mm-hmm. Can't build a table. I'm probably never going to be a championship athlete. And I'm really, really, really poor at languages. Everyone has different skills. You need a certain skill set to be a legislator. I think that's that's where the danger of having too much citizen participation is. Citizens should be driving the direction. Much like elected politicians drive the direction of government. Mm-hmm. You know, your average politician is not a civil servant and is not going to make sure the lights are kept running. So you need different people for different tasks. Citizens mm-hmm. tasks to drive the direction. So mm-hmm. that's a very long spiel. Sorry, I'll stop. No, no, that's not a problem. Because uh, because in the in this uh, in this idea I had for the corpus of Scottish law, it wouldn't be so much a question of passing legislation. The legal framework would need to be, you know, the general direction of the legal framework would need to be set up. But as I said, it, it it needs to be accessible to everyone, readable, understandable. And rather than have it, in, and where you can go back and change the wording of the law if there's some you know difficulty with that, without having to pass new legislation. So instead of, because I remember when I went to, I did some research for my thesis back in 2000 in the Library of Congress, and I remember seeing the U.S. code there, just book after book going back. And, and so, I mean, just, just Microsoft model. Yeah. And, and so how, and so you just have layers and years of legislation and rather, and, and, and it's even worse in the UK because it goes back much, much further. Uh, and so the idea that you could just replace, you know, all of that you know, all these, you know, I mean, just incomprehensibly written legislation with a clearly written legislation, which, which, or, you know, corpus of law. So rather than passing a law in the traditional sense, it could be developed, you know, with, with popular input. And then, uh, and the, and the, and the, but the, the, but also the, the wording could be refined and, you know, voted on, of course. Yeah, handed then, over to the lawyers. And, but, just, but just changing little parts of it, if, there, if it's problematic or if it doesn't, uh, uh, again, rather than the Westminster model where you, you, you can pass legislation, but, you, uh, but it, it, the only way to get rid of it is to repeal it. You and know, even then repeals are actually never, my understanding of this is not 100%, but my understanding is that repeals never actually get rid of the original law it's still on the books. It just has yes. repealed by and then the new law. So the actual law, if you go back every single act of parliament since 1707, is still there. Yeah. It's just that the text of it may well be repealed by, you know, repeals at 1947 or something. So, you know, it's an incredibly old way of doing things. And it's based on the technology of the time, which was the written word printed on, in some cases, written on parchment. I mean, literally every act of the UK Parliament is still written on goat parchment. Written on dead bits of goat and signed and stamped by someone. Even modern modern ones? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still done on parchment. My point, I think they've had all (laughs) They went to vegan parchment, which is no longer goat. It's, it's, you know, fiber. what are we doing? It's 2020s, for God's sakes. Put the damn thing online and have a digital constitution. You know, that, that seems a no-brainer to me. 
and that enables other things to happen as well. So instead of repealing, you know, you just have here is all of the law on a server mm-hmm. and on our blockchain. Uh, you know, here is all of the current law, and if we remove parts of it, then it will just get removed and it will be archived somewhere. Yeah, but all of the current law doesn't have links to fifty-seven different laws. I, if anyone out there has used Linux. The current model of legislation is a bit like Linux. You look up a law. Say you want to look up the Representation of the People's Act. You look up that law. Oh, there's 15 other laws that are dependent. Yeah. You know, yeah. paragraph 15, uh, delete this, delete section one, section six of the Enormous Act. And then you have to go and look up the Enormous Act. It's very much like installing Linux, where you installed some back in the day. You installed Linux and then you needed this bit of software. And that had 40, 14 dependencies, and you had to install this to get that one working, and this to get. Before you know it, you just wanted to turn your microphone on, and you've installed 77 different things and had to code something from source. That's the UK's law. It's mm-hmm. this Byzantine mess. Mm-hmm. Even lawyers don't understand. They have constitutional researches in the UK Parliament just to understand the law. It should not be this hard. No, 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 no. And everybody should be able. And, and if you know, and, and the thing is that if, when it is written in that fashion, you know, just texts and texts going back hundreds of years, a uh, it, it makes it much more easy to exploit the law, of course, because if you want to, if you want to, you know, uh, if you want to suppress something or whatever, you can. Oh, you can find. Oh, yeah. Well, the you know the bugger the jocks act of thirteen twenty two. You know, that's a weird. Parliament passes these laws and never enforces a lot of them. You know, there are daft laws. We've all heard the urban myths about it's legal to shoot the Scotsman from the, the tower. It's not. It's just that law exists, but also the Murder Act exists. So the, the Murder Act, you know, so, so there's laws that contradict each other constantly. And it's the more recent one. It's, it's like a badly stacked pile of Jenga. I'm aware I'm putting more metaphors for people to wrangle with, but it's like a badly stacked one. We'll pull that block out and put a new one on the top. Eventually, it's going to come crashing down. And, and it actually has. There's been legislation that's been enacted with good faith and it's been written well. It's just no one noticed there was a law 302 years ago that, that contradicted it and they didn't specifically overwrite that bit. So this made it's a mess. No. No. And the Supreme Court can't even, uh, I mean, they can't overturn laws because, well, A, there's no written constitution, and B, they can only interpret kind of the way that the laws are applied. They can't actually... I laugh every time someone says Supreme Court. That literally was just, the US haven't got a Supreme Court. We've got to have a Supreme Court. I mean, we've got to have the Jumbo Jet, and we want our own Supreme Court. And it's got to be called the UK Supreme Court. It's not supreme. It doesn't have supremacy over the legislation. Yeah, yeah. It's literally public relations management because the law lords were old and stuffy, so they gave them a new building. They're still the law lords. Uh-huh. Literally, they, they are still the law lords. You know, there's nothing to change. Um, but yeah, the, a digital model that, that is intrinsically built upon a you know a blockchain style model would allow us to say, right, we're going to remove this piece, and it just gets deleted. It gets archived, so everyone can look back on it. But it gets deleted, and you know the entire Jenga tower does not fall down. We can remove things. We can add things as necessary, and there should be breaks on it. There should it should be difficult. So the fundamental parts of it, you know, the fundamental freedoms should be hard to remove, but it shouldn't stop us if we need to. There there need to be public buy-in, and there would need to be consultation and stuff like that, so that you can't just you know, yeah, we don't like free education and I'll get rid of it. It would need to like have you know like a like a super majority of the people to enact 
but it should be doable. Mm-hmm. What shouldn't happen is simple majority being able to remove freedoms. That's a very bad idea. That's where all bad things have started in a lot of countries have been the simple majority of you know the the the, the, the tyranny of the masses. So right. it needs to be the tyranny of extremely masses, like 70-80% of the people are in favor, okay. But even then, you know, there, there's certain parts of it that shouldn't be amendable at all, like the fundamental rights to, you know, liberty, love and happiness. No, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you've got a question there, sorry. Oh, uh, what, what do we think about the, uh, what, do, what do both of us think about the Swiss system of referendum for the, uh, for the people to decide? Yeah, I, I'm agree within the what what's interesting about this constitution that I've developed is it also it gives the, the right, you know, it gives the ability of, low, you know, um, referendum in different scope, you know, not necessarily the whole country, maybe a neighborhood wants to do something different with their park or the land or something like that, and they would be able to organize a, a referendum. And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, on, on a local level or on a broader level or on a national level, you know, and, and so that, that would, uh, uh, I, I, I'm definitely for it. And I, I think that we can go even further in the way that, uh, the, the way that the, the, the referendum are developed. Uh, have you signed the digital covenant? I think so, yes. Um, I say I think so because I remember signing, I think, in 2015. It was a long time ago. So I, I believe, I, I remember thinking, I, I think I remember signing it way, way back. I may have signed well, it. This has only been signed for, for like a year. I mean, we, it's been about a year that, that, that you've been able to sign it. So it, this, is, this is a newer one. I may have. I think I did. I remember thinking and going, yeah, that's good. Okay. I, I, I need to look that up now because the, tr- the trouble is, you see, when, you, when, you, when you've been out for five, ten years, you, you sometimes forget, did I sign that? Or did I sign the last yeah, Well, you, it would have been much more recently because it's, we've only been gathering signatures for the last year or so. So I definitely checked. I think I signed it, yeah. Okay. Uh, I signed the one that the, um, the Yes Hub folk were pushing That's, out. This is, this is entirely different. This is entirely I signed different. signed the one in 2018 as well. well. Just, go to, just go to digitalcovenant.scot and see if you, see if you recognize it. <laughs> Yeah, um, this one's based on because you may you may well know that there was a Scottish a covenant back in the 1950s, which over two million people signed, uh, then was completely ignored uh, by Westminster. This is an updated version that calls for the union to be dissolved, uh, you know, uh, and um, and uh, which cannot as be as easily ignored because because it's got it's got it's using uh, block blockchain. Uh, signatures where you get it, where you do it, and you get a transaction code of like twenty-five letters or something like that. That's your, that that can that can later, you know, uh, serve as the basis of digital identity, uh, self-sovereign identity, and stuff. I like mean, that. The, the blockchain. I mean, I, I was one of the. I try not to talk too much about Bitcoin because empty box value of my house, that kind of thing. But I was one of the founding um, supporters of of the. the the Scott Coin project, and also of the um, the coloured tokens. I think it became. I think it, they renamed it because um, something about racism. Um, but it, it was the, um, the, the 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 whole architecture of Bitcoin based on um, token colouring asset mm-hmm. management. And I was a big supporter of that from the get go. So yeah, I'm, I'm down with the whole use of Bitcoin for stuff like this because the whole point of having blockchain is the ability to say yes, this has definitely happened. This thing has happened, and this person has said yes to it, or this person said no to it. So it's yeah. perfect for voting. It's perfect for land transfers. It's perfect for a constitutional arrangement. 
Um, I'm not sure I'd use it for <laughs> actual legislation status, though, because call me traditional, but I'd like a paper backup of the Constitution. I'd, I'd like the paper backup to be there as well, because, well, you know, <laughs> electricity does fail sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I'd, I'd want it to be backed up in paper, or I'd want the legislation to acknowledge the paper copy first, or something mm-hmm. like that, just so there is a permanent external certain document and I don't want it having to get printed off overnight. But yeah. Um so yeah, so I do support the digital covenant. Can't remember if I've signed it to be honest. Okay. Um but yeah the the idea of legislation for everything again that's getting back to that direct rule thing which makes me a little nervous because if you go into the weeds too much you end up with a situation I think where only people who are really interested and really care about something get involved in that vote. And why that's a problem is that sometimes the only people really, really, really involved in something are people that aren't doing things in public interest. Right. So everyone can vote on it, but no one actually voted on it. And before you know it, you're in a dictatorship because there was mm-hmm. a vote held about removing all of them rights to people. And the only people that actually noticed it was happening was the, the fascists bringing mm-hmm. it in. I don't think it would go quite that bad, but you, you end up with a slippery slope of, of bad law being passed just because of the vested interests noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think I think that you need elected representatives that people can trust to pass the bulk of the bread and butter of getting along with running the country. But equally certain things should be capable of being put to a vote. I like the idea of localism in the referendum idea. So mm-hmm. that's something the US actually does quite well. You know, you have individual areas saying, yeah, we want to have you know, proposition 12 people remove the rights to congregate on Sundays or something. You, know, you, you have that idea that you can put propositions on the ballot and have them voted on. I think that should be part of our new constitution as well, like you said. I like the idea that local government should be more local. Mm-hmm. I was a councillor, or maybe again, you know. Um, and councils have so little powers in Scotland, mm-hmm. and they're huge. If you go to, the, you know, if you go to Norway, if you go to Sweden, Denmark, Denmark's, you know, not much bigger than Scotland. It's got a big population, but not much bigger than Scotland. It's got far more local authorities than Scotland. We've got 32. I think Denmark's got in the 90s. You know, and, and they've all got more powers as well. Mm. But when I was a councillor, I was like, well, can we just stop? You know, we, we had have, we have too many off-licenses. 90% of the alcohol was all served through all two off-licenses, and they were the supermarkets. I said, well, can't we just restrict them to supermarkets selling more than this amount of alcohol? That would stop the problem. But, you know, they're not allowed to sell. Uh, we've got a problem with, with cheap cider. Can we not just say they're not allowed to sell cheap cider anymore? No, we don't have that power. That's a mm. national power. That is a UK-wide power. And I'm like, hold on. Why? <laughs> we're, the, we're the council area. We're the council area that's got this problem. You know, other areas don't have a problem with this particular one. Can't we start? No, we don't have that power. Why not? Why is it reserved to? That's like a top-down model. We need mm-hmm. a we need a grassroots model. We need to we need to say no. The local people want this. The local people will have this because the local people have decided this for themselves. And that's where the idea of government should come from. It should come from the people first. Okay. Well, in, in the in the constitutional framework that we've developed, there, there's there's ample scope for your ideas and putting them in there of what of the way that uh, you know the local government can be can be developed to remedy these things and also in the law as well. So, you know, the more, as much as you want to participate in helping, helping out, uh, you're, you're more than welcome. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but that idea of localism, you know, is that um, 
Yes, sorry. Um, I, it is a different digital covenant. I said it. It's a different digital covenant. Previous petitions people have signed. Yeah, there, there's been so many of them that where my usually I couldn't remember okay. if I signed this one. But yes, okay. um, yeah. The, the the issue of of local government that that's um it, it's um a good metaphor for the whole of government where change isn't driven by the people at the bottom. It's being imposed from people on the top. Local government doesn't have much power because the national government has decided that. The national government don't have much power because the UK government have decided that. The UK government in some ways don't have much power because the Queen and the the, the landed gentry decided it wouldn't. And that's like the opposite of how a country should be run. It should be all powers are reserved to the people except these express ones which we have given to this part of government. Mm. And now we want, you know, the people of this village want this power to be given to this part of the government. Uh, obviously, that can go too far in some ways. Like, you know, you can't have the Isle of Adam deciding that it wants to have a trade treaty with Canada. <laughs> or, or, you know, you, you can't have Lewis deciding, actually, you need a passport to come to Lewis now, and the passport is £4,000 per, per year. You know, you can't have things like that. Certain powers do need to be restricted to the government. But at the same time, there need to be the ability of the local people, for instance, if the people or all of the people who lived on Adam decided, actually, we've got this huge problem with Airbnb and holiday homes. There's no people living here. There's huge problems with like second home ownership. None of the people actually live here, and yet they're all drain on the resources of the area. So if you want to own a house here and you don't live in it full time, here's how much tax you need to pay. Yeah. If the people of Adam wanted to do that, they should have that right because it's their community. Mm-hmm. It's their local authority. It's their council. Actually, it's not their local authority. Yeah. You know, Adam is, is part of a larger local authority, and that's part of the problem. We have such these, these huge, large, sprawling local governments that have so little power and yet control so many areas of life. Mm-hmm. Only they're, they're, they're only allowed to, to work within tiny, tiny means. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can't raise any taxes and you must deliver these services, but you don't have the right to do any of these other things. And yet, you know, like Highlands and Highlands and Islands covers a huge area. I mean, I'll go and mute my local authority. I'll go and mute council. It's an area about the same size as Cyprus. It's a country-sized area with so few people in it because of, you know, depopulation in Westminster. But it has no powers to do things. It has so, so few powers over things. And I think that's something that our constitutional document would really give us the ability to do would be to, to, to stop this idea that power is devolved from the centre power is given from the people that's how instead of top down grassroots up and that's a much better model for government because on top of everything else to to circle back to my long rant about sorry constitutional matters when i said that we need to have a government governing documents and and constitution that that can evolve over time quickly as needed if it's driven from the people it can be changed quickly by the people and it won't end up in a situation where the government can't deliver policies at once because there's a comma in the wrong place and a 300 year old piece of goat film, you know that it's that given given your experience in computers and open source how do you th- what do you th- what do you see as some of the mechanisms whereby that can be achieved that that uh, that it you know that truly that the, the will of the people can prevail in adapting the constitution to to uh, react to you know, a rapidly evolving world what do you, what do you what do you see as some of the mechanisms that could be put in place to affect that well, um, online voting. I'm not going to get into the technology of blockchain versus you know, closed store. Yeah. yeah, blockchain would be a great idea. We should use it. But 
we shouldn't hang the whole thing on needing to use it. It should be usable, whatever the technology. Um, that was like platformers and that, that sort of thing. So, no, oh, no, we have to have this application technology on iOS. No. no, you don't get bogged down in the tech, how the technology works. You get bogged down in what you want the technology to do. What we should want it to do is enable online voting. Everyone should have a single sign in, um, a single verifiable digital identity citizenship like the Estonian government have that allows you to vote, that allows you to pay your taxes, that allows you to, you know, you can have a bank account. You can have a bank account with it. I don't know about that. I mean, banks' money—that's more private sphere sort of thing. But I wouldn't want. I don't know if I'd want the government having access to that level of information about citizens. But all the same, they should, if they want to, they should be able to use that. But they shouldn't be forced to use it. And I right. Fair point. Fair point. All the banks will just go. Oh, that's really easy. Not only an account with us, and they can use the government sign-in. And now you've got the government having access to all your financial details. Well, that's fine. You say the government's nice and good and stuff. The Tories get voted in on a free collection that no one saw happening, and now suddenly you've got Jacob Rees Mogg type people saying, So, how much are poor people earning? Oh, they're earning this much. Let's tax them more. I don't like that. <laughs> 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 the Tories, yeah, no, but, but you know, I, don't, I, I, I always worry about giving government any power based on who's the most vile person you can think of being in government. Imagine them having this power. Are you comfortable with that? Because everyone always thinks, yeah, the government should have this ability because it would be someone like Nicola that's loving and kind and thinks of the good of the people. And I think, no, what would happen if these people got elected? Would you be happy with them having that power? No, then they shouldn't have that power. Um, so that, that's like more grassroots kind of like. But yeah, it should be an online digital system that, that allows people to say, yes, here is me. Here is the digital me. I can pay my taxes. I can vote. I can complain about services. I can get in contact with my MSP. I can get in contact with my councillor. I can do all of the things I need to in the in the um, governmental sphere of life. I should be able to apply for jobs with the government. And, you know, we've got the basics of that in Scotland already to some degree, but online voting is a real killer application because it would allow people to say, okay, yeah, let's have a vote next week. Yeah. Seven months' time and we'll have to pay all the polling stuff. No, let's have a vote next week. Polling place will be open from, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. if you've not got a digital you know, technology, there's an iPad in there you can use. And that's it. Yes. Here's a sign-in card. You know, and I think just something like that, uh, I can't find it. Um, I had one. Um, it was a USB card, much like this, only instead of it being a card, it was actually a little USB thing. And it's got a verified cryptographic ID on it. I use it for digital banking. Mm-hmm. Many people have seen them, dongle things. Um, where is mine gone? I'm worried about that. I need that for my bank. Um, <laughs> Good example as to why you should you should make it easy to replace them, but um, okay. it is. So one of these things, and you just go in and you you pop it in the device. And if you've not got your own online access in the house, you go down to your polling place. We'll still need them. You pop it in. You verify that that's you. It will come up with a little photo on the screen. The polling person will say, "Is that them?" Yeah, that's them. Click, and then you just go, "Yeah, I don't like this." Bam, done. Yeah. And that's, that, to me, is an idea that, that I think you, you can get them to actually have a fingerprint reader on. I think that would be a very clever way of doing it. Because they yeah, good point. Good, good point, yeah. Because One was, of the things people have said about online voting is, what if it's in the house? What if it's someone else using it? So I understand that that's not, you know, that, that that's something that would stop that being a problem. Um, but, sorry, if you can hear sound in the background. Um, but that would be perfect for many reasons because you can have online votes, you can have them quickly, you can have them easily, you can have 
it, it, it allows you to roll back and say, okay, does it have compatibility with older systems? Yes, it does. You can <coughs> pull in places. It needs to have a, you know, it, need, it needs to have a paper copy as well, so you can see that it's transparent. And mm -hmm. if you place on something like blockchain, blockchain, you can verify that it's all real. Yeah. All of those things with one digital signing. Sorry, that was a very long spiel. Again, I'm talking. No, no, I, I appreciate it, but uh, yeah, because uh, I mean, I was reading through the legislation for the. Um, uh, just, just sort of skimmed it of, of the the legislation that the Scottish Parliament has passed for a referendum without naming the date and that and it's uh -huh. there are it, it's like hundreds of pages and then annexes of hundreds of pages. It's like it doesn't have to be that complicated. You have to pay the poll workers. You got to do this. You got to do that. And some of that you do need to do. Some of that we will need to do because unless every single person in Scotland has a digital device. Oh, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, you need to do the basic stuff there. And a lot of it, though, is actually, I'm, I'm defending the government here. I'm not going to be part of it now. But all the same, I'm defending that because a lot of that actually doesn't have anything to do with voting. It mm -hmm. has to do with money. It has yeah. to do with campaign finance. Yes, I, I, I understand that. You are very familiar with because one of my criticisms of the 2014 referendum, and I spoke to, I think, every single one after 2014, I've been finished. I think I spoke to most, if not all, of the SMB representatives on the local government committee, uh, on the, the referendum committee that passed that bill. Was why in the name of hell are you allowing companies and people who don't live in Scotland the right to pay money over this? Because there were companies in England, there were there were individuals who were not voters in Scotland putting huge amounts of money into the referendum campaign. They don't know it. Mm. That's 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 not that's not right. No, you can't have that. So there's a lot of stuff in that bill that covers that. And that would need to be covered whether it's an online vote or not. But you're right, there's a lot of dump in there. And it's just, it's, it's archaism. Mm -hmm. It's stuff that shouldn't really, it, it shouldn't really exist, but it exists because we still print laws on pieces of goat and have an old woman with a, with a crown and a little stamp to sign them. Instead of just, you know, an online access portal and the person in charge of approving the legislation puts their thumb on there and says yes. Mm -hmm. All the MSPs put their little card in and say yes. Everyone at home that wants to vote on it flashes their little thing or goes down to the polling place and clicks yes. Done. You can yeah. have a vote in a day. None of this counting nonsense the US have. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying not to bash the US. I'm really trying hard. I mean, you know why for the viewers that are at home wondering why in the hell does it take the US seven days to count a bloody election? Why is it still going on? It's nothing to do with the population. It's nothing to do with the voting system they have, the voting system's fine. It's because Republicans over the last 40 or 50 years in the US have systematically destroyed the electoral system. Absolutely. They funded polling places. They don't have enough counting agents. They don't have enough polling places. In Scotland, we have one polling place per 4,000 voters, roughly, on average. In parts of America, you're talking 50,000 voters per polling place. And, you know, and people stand, literally stand in line for like eight hours. And, and, and you're voting on the ballots can be like eight pages long, if not longer. You know, you're, so you're voting for all this different stuff, you know, whether, you know, the, the you know, the, of course, the president, uh, the senator, maybe if it, uh, the, the representative. Oh, the whole system is so convoluted. You know, Joe Biden, in certain parts of America, you could vote for Joe Biden seven different times. Because he's not just the Democrat Party, he's also the Constitution Party candidate. He's the Taking America Forward, I think, candidate. And there were like seven or eight different entries you could pick Joe Biden from. 
But if you pick two of them, your vote's invalidated. It's just bafflingly stupid. And it's and, and de- deliberately so. I mean, yeah. well, it's not stupid in the sense that, I mean... The, the, oh, it does its job very well. It's Exactly, exactly. It disenfranchises people. It makes it yeah. so confusing. Because them, uh, them polling places where there's 50,000 people for polling places, 50,000 poor people, a lot of them black, and nobody wants them voting. The Republicans yeah. are just like, no, we don't want them. And so if you can get them... If, and sometimes they tell people the wrong place to go. Yeah. It often is, it's often a different place each election. And so, you know, like, and, and I think in the Arizona primary in 2016, I just one example, they closed two thirds of the voting uh, booths. And of course, they'll be in Democratic areas or, you know, in yeah. the Republican area. Ah, no problem. Very good question just came in there. Why don't the Democrats change things? Well, they do when they come in. But you see, the U.S. model. Is, is in some ways better, but in some ways worse, in that it's up to the state. And some of these states... Exactly. exactly. I was just going to say, the, the only thing the Constitution says on elections is that the states have the power to, to determine the uh, time, place, and manner of the election. That's it. And, yeah, some uh, of the states, like, like Vermont, you don't hear about Vermont taking ages to count. No, it's because Vermont's been run by Democrats for 18 years, and they've got a fairly sane system for doing it. Arizona, you know, that's a historically quite red state. Why is it so difficult to count the votes there? Could it be because the Democrats haven't had power there and the Republicans you know, exactly bad Democrats as well? But, and also, know. each county is different as well. You know, and, and you know, the, the level of equipment, the you know what they're actually voting on is completely different. Oh, yeah, they've got the because, voting, they've got machine voting. You know, they, they have levers to punch things. Some of them use pencils. Some of them only use it. It's a mess, and it's because it's so hard to change things. The U.S. federal government doesn't have the right to say we shall run elections for the federal government and they shall be run like this. They don't have that right. The states have that right. And in some cases, counties have that right. So it's a mess because it's all these different competing arguments. And, and you know, it's all on goat vellum back in the 1700s. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. That's why it doesn't have the ability to respond to things nimbly and agile and like a small government. But why wouldn't, block, wouldn't blockchain voting disenfranchise people with limited or no access to the internet? Yes, it would if it was solely based on blockchain. However, the blockchain is just a method of recording the votes. At the moment, we use a piece of paper. Well, actually, that's not true. In the 2016 Scottish parliamentary elections, it was a computer spreadsheet in Edinburgh. All the blockchain does is replace that computer spreadsheet with a more secure computer spreadsheet, effectively, a more secure way of recording the votes. However, what it does do, if you open that access up, it allows anyone with their little access card in their computer at home or their phone or whatever, plug in and go, I'm voting digitally. Yes, that's who I want to vote for. But if they can't vote digitally because they don't have a smartphone or they don't have a computer or they don't have online access or whatever, they can walk. And this is how it should be run. We can set up polling places, traditional polling places that could still be needed where they can go down and tap their vote there, which is still mm-hmm. voting online. They're just doing it at the polling place where there's an internet connection. And that's fine because you can do mm-hmm. that. It just means that that polling place might only see 10 voters that day, and that's fine. But the point is, instead of a paper vote, that polling place, as soon as you've voted, it's gone through to the central ledger, and it's been done. And then 10 o'clock, 10.01 p.m., the results appeared on a screen. Not just one mm-hmm. screen, every screen, and every single person. This is where blockchain comes in, and this is why it's better than that spreadsheet. Is instead of that spreadsheet being in Edinburgh, and one person seeing it and going, yep, yeah, there are all the results in, phone around all the regional polling places and check the results over the phone just in case there's been a problem. Yep, yeah, it's all valid. Go and tell the returning officer, and the returning officer announces it on the TV. 
Instead of that, you can log in and look at the blockchain and go, yep, that's all valid. Every yeah. single person. Any- and, you, and you can verify that you voted correctly, yeah. you know, and, and, and your vote was counted correctly, and that you can see all the other votes as well. Uh, you know, Although you won't be able to identify who those other votes are. Exactly, were. because of the encryption. Your blockchain ID would allow you to go in and say, yes, that's my ID, I voted SMP. Yeah. It would also allow you to see every other ID and see who every other ID voted for, but you just wouldn't know who those other ID Exactly, so it's, it, it conserves the anonymity of, 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 of uh, paper voting. But secure, because yeah, you, you exactly. see how every single vote voted, it's just you have no idea what that 16-digit long string of numbers represents. It could be your wife, it could be your, your brother, it could be someone in Stornoway, it could be, you know, I guess there's no way of knowing. Only you would be able to know that. And that's how it's important to keep that security secure and anonymous and, and, and anonymous. You, you mentioned earlier about uh, blockchain and uh, regarding land transactions. Now, wow. I'd, be I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on that. What, uh, really I, I saw a little video about them doing it in Africa. Yeah, I, I was about to say in Africa, there are places in Africa, Botswana, I think, where yeah, they, that was, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they've actually adapted the land registry to be done via blockchain. And the reason they did this, and this is an example of not focusing on technology, but focusing on what you're, I mean, what you want the technology to do, mm-hmm. is that they did this because a lot of the people didn't have access to lawyers, but they all have a mobile phone. But it's not a smartphone like an iPhone, you know, because we're talking rural here, quite poor. But a lot of people have a mobile phone, an old mobile phone, and they could dial a number on it. So they changed to this digital blockchain-based land registry because they didn't have to have pieces of paper signed by lawyers that they couldn't understand. Like yeah. when it happened in Scotland when the poor land, you know, everyone who was poor got their land stolen off them in the 1800s or 1700s. Yeah. That stopped this happening in this part of Africa because the digital blockchain stuff works on their phone. So they could text the number in and sell that piece of land to the guy over there and he got it on his phone and he's got the number and that's it done. No lawyers and no chance for someone to steal the land off them while writing some dodgy. They can just look it up and go, yes, he owns that piece of land. And he owns that piece of land, and it's all recorded on a blockchain. So no fancy lawyer in the capital, five hundred miles away, can just wipe the poor people out by going, "No, no, I own this piece of land." Actually, yeah, let's change this. They can't do it because it's all digitally, you know, it's digitally corroborated on the blockchain. For the viewers wondering what the hell this blockchain thing you're talking about, it's how Bitcoin does things. Essentially, it's an accounting book. It's a ledger, and every single. Every single part of that ledger, every single line in the ledger, when I send £5 to him and he sends £10 to Alice and Alice sends £10 to me, those three transactions get written in the book. Mm-hmm. But if you write a transaction in the book, the next transaction is mathematically based on the last one. So it's like mm-hmm. constantly evolving. In fact, yeah, Jenga block. It's, very, it's, it's like a constantly evolving block of Jengas. So when I add a transaction to the, the pile, the next one goes on top of it. And if you remove my transaction, the whole thing falls down. So it's a very easy way to secure things for money's transfers. But then they worked out you can do other things on it as well, like transferring land or recording votes. And so when I add my votes to the pile, if someone tries to change the vote underneath it, the whole thing falls down. So everything right. is based on every previous transaction. And it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And so it's secure because you can't change one transaction. Not Without everybody else going, right. Because the whole thing falls down. 
That's why it's perfect for using as a vote, because unless you have over half the network under your direct control, if you hack the entire network, you had over half the computers in it under your control, you could change things because all the computers have to agree. And so if you have over half the computers, you can you can make it your vote. Mm-hmm. But the trouble is that based on blockchain and currently the blockchain computing network has billions of computers on it. It is impossible to rig. You can't rig it. That's mm-hmm. why blockchain is good because there'd be no dubiety. The only dubiety would be about individual people placing their individual votes in. But, you know, the, that's the person actually voting. Once they voted, done. You can't change mm-hmm. it. And that's where it comes in and that's why it's useful for land transfers, assets, transfers and stuff too. So, so in addition, of course, uh, hold, holding referendums and uh, and, uh-huh. and elections during a pandemic. When oh, yeah, I mean, imagine if we'd actually brought this in. When I said in 2010, we should do this digitally, because I'm a genius and you know very good at prediction. Visionary, you're a digital visionary. But when I said we should do this, I held a lecture in the University of Glasgow. Was it? Was it? No, I think it was Cali Uni. Had a tech symposium thing that uh, tech meetup that I, I went and talked about Bitcoin at. I think some people got quite rich, but I didn't. Anyway, um, celebrity. So when I talked about this, I said, "Yeah, we should use this for online voting." If we had, if we brought this in in 2011 and said, "Yeah, let's let's set up a government, you know, body to look into online voting, how we can deliver this safely and securely using blockchain," let's let's work on the devices that everyone would be given to use this with, like a USB dongle that's got their ID on it and has a fingerprint. Cheap and easy. Or, you know, a digital Scotland card that's got your photo on it so that when you turn up at the polls, you're doing it in person. Yeah, that's me. Put it in the machine. If we'd done that, the pandemic would have absolutely no effect on voting at all. Exactly. No, not a sausage. Everyone could vote in person or in their home. And if they want to go to the polling place, they need a mask. Done. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, there'll be fewer. Of course, there'll be fewer people there because most people will be able to. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it's not the polling places. It's going to be a problem next May. This is the headache that councils up and down Scotland are currently facing. How the hell do we bloody count the votes? Because polling places, yes, you can have one person going in and keep two meters distance. But if, you, if you've been to a count, you would know that it's literally a thousand people. You can't do that with a pandemic. You can't have people sat around a table with a pandemic. The pieces of paper might have coronavirus on them. And it's needless. It's it's back to the 1700s with bits of paper. We've got smartphones. We've got the internet. Why are we stuck in? Because it's how we've always done it, and it's tradition. Okay. The Scottish government could tomorrow morning pass an act that says online voting. Don't, because okay. tradition and because lots of people would feel disenfranchised and because of vendors and because the blockchain isn't entirely trusted by some people in government. It's a new technology and that. No, there's a pretty deep there's there's a pretty deep skepticism, especially among the older generation. And, and I understand that. So your average politician is in his sixties. He's a man. He's white. He doesn't have a good grasp of computing. There's more than a few MSPs that have their staff print emails off. So when they are being asked, let's determine elections by this technology, you don't understand it. You just have to take it for faith that this isn't all just a huge big con and we're stealing the control of the government. Yes, they're right to be skeptical. But what we need to do is let people that have a better understanding of technology so they'll understand actually blockchain is a good idea. Here's the reasoning behind it. Here's the mathematics. Here's the open source. You can go and check. Here's the distributed ledger so that everybody, not just the parliament, not just the returning officer, not just the polling agents, do away with polling agents and digital transactions being recorded in live time, 
means you'd be able to see how the country's voting as we're all voting. What is me? I think I think the results should be released. Yeah, but that, how do you do that? Because if you're using a blockchain as then transact all into the chain, they'll be visible. That's a problem what we will need to actually address. I think it might be a good idea if everyone can't do that from the start. So there might be need to be some way of maybe holding transactions locally, but that introduces problems. But that aside, it could be deployed tomorrow morning. I guarantee you, if you gave me a budget of a few thousand, a few coders, a few coders, and a couple of months, I could have you an online voting system. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, thank you everybody for watching. It's 